Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. <sighs> Guys, Meredith is here. Hello. How's it going? It's good. It's fucking freezing. And mm-hmm. Wisconsin I'm style? Old. Yeah, just keeping it real. And <laughs> that, like, my frustration with this, I have only myself to blame because I made the choice to live here. And so I live with that. You know, I just killed a cockroach, so same. Honestly, same boat. I (laughs) was waiting for Meredith in our virtual studio, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, man. So I had to run and kill a cockroach. So listen, we all make our choices about where we decide to live, and sometimes we regret those decisions. And then other times, it's like, this is dope. I love my life. Well, I mean, the cold does suck, but... I can have cheese curds whenever I want to. Literally whenever you want, which is like, okay, okay, Wisconsin. So before we get further into the episode, Meredith, I wanted to read a couple Patreon messages from my supporters. If you're a fan of me or the show, you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. It's just my name. It's my dang name, everybody. And if you are a supporter, you get to skip the line, essentially, and I'll read your messages on air. So Jennifer wrote in with a recommendation for The Runner, which came out in 2021. It's available on Shudder, our favorite streaming platform. It is part concept album slash horror short slash long music video from Boy Harsher. It's very reminiscent of an 80s B-horror movie. Also stars Chris F... Oh, boy. S. Fandieri. Sorry. From the band King Woman. There is virtually no dialogue, and it was the first time in a while that I didn't big screen, little screen, and put my phone down for the whole running time. Hold on. Jennifer. Is that what it's called when you're looking at your phone when you should be watching a movie? You're big screening, little screening it? If... It isn't, if people haven't made it that thing, it it's a thing the now. Immediately just became a thing. Jennifer, did you do that? Did you steal that from somebody else? Because I love that. And also, heads up, I'm stealing it from you. Big screen, little screen. I love it. Um, so Brian also wrote in, I've mentioned my YouTube show in passing a few times when it was relevant to something else that came up on the show. But since February 9th is going to be the fifth anniversary of it, I figured I'd just go out all out and plug it in a podcast. My channel is called Arkle Studios. Should be easy to find on YouTube. I'll be releasing the fourth episode of season seven on that day. All right. Thanks, Brian. Um, so while we're in the recommendation zone, Meredith, I yes. wanted, I'm glad you're on the show because you and I, you very kindly contacted me texted me and you basically were like hey did you know that you can just buy tickets for Sundance this year and I was like I'm sorry what Um, (laughs) you were like you can buy individual tickets you don't have to buy like the insanely expensive packages that they always make you buy like that are hundreds of dollars you can just spend twenty dollars and see a movie so you and I watched a couple um, Sundance films which was very cool and Obviously, I want to recommend the two films we saw because, you know, we had heard like some buzz, some positive buzz already about um, about the filmmakers and about 
their prior work. So we were very interested to see these two films. But the first one I wanted to talk about is Resurrection. Yep. <laughs> because <laughs> holy shit, um, I enjoyed it a lot. But I will say uh, this is like a – how would you categorize? Like a psychological horror it is it is a psychological horror movie that is actually psychologically horrifying and uh you know without spoiling anything if you are sensitive to stories about abuse mm-hmm. and its aftermath do not watch it yes because it is extremely intense and the performances are great but that means that you could it, it could be very triggering so getting that out of the way Holy shit, is Rebecca Hall the greatest actress? Oh my God. Is it Olivia Coleman? Yeah, well, there's a, a monologue in Resurrection that I was just texting you and I was like, how long was this monologue? Because it felt, I mean, it felt short because Rebecca Hall is so amazing, but it's just a shot of her face and she does a monologue that I believe is like eight minutes long. Yeah, it's it's somewhere between seven and eight minutes, and she's looking straight to camera. There's complete black, and she's just, it's just telling her. a story. Yeah, and she's incredible, like mesmerizing. And that's when I was like, is she the greatest living actress? She's definitely up there. And she's up there in a way that, like, she's not a household name, which is frustrating because, yeah, she in my mind, she is, like, up there with Olivia Coleman. Yeah, and I think she's just... She has such a mass, like she has incredible intensity. She really, she's played character, all kinds of characters. But when she plays this very controlled, very powerful sort of corporate woman, completely unraveling um, because of past trauma, it felt it was visceral. Like I definitely know that it was extremely divisive. There were some yes. people who were like, "This is too dark." Yeah. And a bunch of people who are like, this is incredible. Which is Um, usually when you and I show up, when the critics are like, this is too dark. We just appear out of nowhere. That's how you summon us. And we're like, what is it? Where where can I get in? Exactly. That is true. Uh, And clearly is how I determined what movies I wanted to watch on the Sundance schedule. Right, right. Well, you you had me at, I heard this was incredibly disturbing and it has Rebecca Hall in it. And I was like, take my money. I'm, I'm there front row. Yeah, and you know... If your jam is deeply unsettling films where you are uh, uncomfortable on the edge of your seat the entire time and, yeah, uh, upsetting things happen, (laughs) then (laughs) Resurrection, definitely your jam. Uh, The other film we saw I feel like might have a slightly more uh, mainstream appeal, question mark? I think so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Something in the Dirt by Benson and Moorhead. It's very much uh, in their their lane of weird sci-fi that is incredibly character-based and driven. Um, they actually write very good characters. And then as sort of like a backdrop, you'll have this weird sci-fi tilt to their stories. That's really interesting. And like I, I really love their visual storytelling and how their films look. Um, I told Meredith, I was like, is this the most L.A. film ever made? Because just like that opening shot of them, with, like <laughs> there's a fire in the background, like in the hills, and then there's planes flying over. And that's all CGI. CGI. Yeah. Oh, my God. CGI, obviously. 
But, but they're also you know, like smoking American spirits, and yeah. one of them has just gotten like looks like he has blood on his shirt, but he had been at a wedding and somebody spilled a cocktail on him, and the other guy is like in shorts and cut and a cut off sleeve t shirt and has like is dirty a bartender on his hair. way to work. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So two guys meet. They live in a they're neighbors in an apartment complex in Los Angeles. They get to know each other a little bit. Both of them seem to have gone through some shit. They both seem a little bit off. And they are. But but they become friends mm-hmm. by bonding. Uh, like, they bond over a very odd and unexplained uh, phenomenon that they witness together that yes. deals with light and gravity. Yeah. Um, and that sends them, they decide to make a documentary, and it sends them down a conspiracy theory <laughs> rabbit hole uh, that makes both of them get much weirder. Yeah, it's and, sort of that dream logic yeah. that very much reminded me of one of my other favorite LA-based films, Silver Lake. Where under the Silver Lake, under the Silver right. Lake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you're never aware, or you never know the whole time if the connections the character's making are actually real or imagined, you know, in his, his mind. And I, again, that is extremely my shit. That's sort of dream logic. What's real, what's not real. Maybe we'll never know or figure it out. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really love this film because I guess we should mention too, Benson and Moorhead are the, the filmmakers, but they're also the stars of the film. Yeah, they it's act a, in most of their movies too. Yeah, it's a very COVID film, like very, very self-contained, small, small, tiny cast. They're the only ones in a room together at the same time. There is one other character you see briefly, <laughs> but they are outside. <laughs> it's like, okay, this was made during COVID, but you know, props that they made anything during COVID. Um, and there, you know, usually when you hear, oh, the filmmakers are also the actors, it's a little like, yikes, because that can really go off the rails because you're doing so much. It's like, oh, cool. So you wrote the thing and you're directing it and you're acting in it. Mm-hmm. That could be a clusterfuck. And, yeah. Although let's remember Greta Gerwig came up in the same universe as these people, because this is all the very DIY, you know, the mumblecore kids are all connected. Yeah, but like Greta, I'm like, Greta's a superhero. Like, Greta can do it. But I'm like, for for other, like, normal humans, it's not always doable. But they, I think they're great. Like, if you didn't know they were the filmmakers, I think they're both legit great actors. I love their relationship. They clearly, like, you know, they, they make films together. So they have a really good rapport, really good chemistry. And... Eventually, something is revealed that I won't talk about here, but it gets very um, meta in terms of what their relationship means and the definition of their relationship, the boundaries of their relationship in a a really fascinating way that didn't feel crowbarred to me. Yeah, I would, you know, I I think the way I would put it is if you actually, this is a movie about dudes having like dudes who have a relationship and and it becomes strained that you actually feel compelled by and that's a Which pretty for us is a, i was gonna say for us is a huge compliment because this is usually <laughs> not the thing that we would recommend on this show so you know we really 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 mean it yes uh and also it's just i think it's a really for how small it is and how weird it is i do think it's one of their more accessible movies mm-hmm. And it's a great introduction to the rest of their film catalog because they have been making some incredibly interesting movies for the last several years. And 
um, you know, even creating their own loosely connected cinematic universe on some level, which I think is wild. They're just doing it in a way that's extremely low key and very like scruffy. And um, yeah, I just think they're incredibly talented. And if you like when this one comes out, definitely see it. Otherwise, I think the movie The Endless is great. And I think Spring is great. And there's just so much they're so good at as you said, writing relationships that feel lived in um, and real characters. And I, once you see it, get, it gets under your skin incredibly quickly and it never really leaves. Yeah, well, it's interesting because they do what you're not supposed to do with screenplays, which is it's sort of like when a little kid tells you a story and they're like, and then, and then, and then, and it just keeps going. And it's one A storyline with no cutaways to a B or C storyline. Mm-hmm. And usually writers are told not to do that. And they really, really lean into that. And that's why I think their films have that sort of dream logic where it's like, and now we're here and now we're here and like something big happens. And now like you're, you're just pulled along with the, the main protagonist. Um, but I, I really love that they do that. Yeah, same. So uh, I don't, I haven't heard anything about what, whether they've, those movies have sold, but I sold, yeah. fully anticipate that they will be widely available um, because these are not the these are not the, the kind of scruffy indies that languish and then end up getting dumped on Amazon Prime. You will be able to see them. I hope so, and so. I hope that Sundance keeps doing this. Like I know they love to be bougie and elitist, and to a certain extent, that's how they generate buzz for films by, um, let's call it supreme logic, you know, controlling supply and demand. So mm-hmm. the product is more valuable. But I mean, how cool is it that you could see these films for $20 and there's like still placeholders for the credits? Like that was really cool. Yeah. Well, in the, uh, the, you know, the way that it worked was you sign up and you buy your tickets, but the, you could get a ticket to the premiere, which came with, access like to the video like the recorded live q a that they would do with the filmmakers so we just watched the second screenings right um that you know you get 24 hours after a certain point in the day like after it's released um but yeah you could also like it gives you an enormous it gave you an enormous amount of access and i think it just it seems so smart both from an accessibility element and just being cool to do this more often. And I really hope that it continues. Yeah. Um, And then I also wanted to recommend another film I saw recently, documentary, Summer of Soul, the new documentary by Questlove. it's, It's a stunning documentary. And I was just, you know, struck by the fact that this footage was kept in a basement for 50 years. This concert that took place in in harlem with um a a lineup of amazing black artists happened the same year as woodstock but you probably never heard about summer of soul and guess why that is you know racism so but the documentary is beautiful the footage is like stunningly good like amazingly good and 
uh, you know, Questlove, he's a, he's a musician. So he gets it. He gets why this was so special and such a historic event. And the, they again were making this during COVID. So unfortunately, some of the, the interviews that they wanted to happen that were scheduled, um, I think they were supposed to like interview like Whoopi Goldberg at one point couldn't happen because, um, people couldn't travel. So, it's only limited in those terms, but they they still got a bunch of amazing, amazing talking heads to to comment on this stuff. And my favorite part of it, personally, was watching some of the artists who performed in Summer of Soul watch the footage. Oh, they, my God. Yeah. I didn't realize that's part of it. And that's like, amazing. It's beautiful. Like, they're just, they're crying. They're so happy. And, like, people who were there getting to see the footage again. Because, again, this footage was not released. It was just... A bunch of beautiful footage was shot and then kept in a fucking basement for for decades. So you're seeing these people for the first time since the event actually happened watching this amazing moment again. And that is like magic. It's it's worth it just for that. So I tweeted about it saying how amazing it was. Guys, I don't want to brag and I don't want to inflate his ego anymore because, you know, Desmond is already a lot. But I tweeted about Summer Soul and I added, I tagged Questlove, and he must have been like, who is this, talking about my movie, and went to my Twitter and saw my photo of Desmond in his dumb little sunflower cone, which if you haven't seen, do go to my Twitter and check it out. He looks so stupid. And retweeted Desmond, a fucking photo of Desmond. So Questlove is not only aware that Desmond exists, but Desmond is now Questlove approved. So Desmond's fucking famous if he wasn't already. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to be careful. You don't want it to go to his head. What if Desmond just becomes a train wreck, drug addict, alcoholic, up all night partying with musicians, the door like slams shut at 3 a.m. and he stumbles in? wearing sunglasses and i'm like where were you and he's like mind your fucking business and i'm like don't talk to me like that you don't pay rent i mean that it could happen although be glad that he doesn't have enough brain cells to have it cause permanent trouble well here's the thing though you can be a very 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 dumb celebrity and still cause a lot of damage so oh that's true i'll watch him is what i'm saying um and then where are we at? Okay, I'll do I'll do one more because I feel like I'm hijacking this. And I don't want to say too much about this because it just came out. Um, if I'm going to talk about it at all, I'll give very general impressions. But I did go to Lincoln Center yesterday and I saw Worst Person in the World because that was the only place I saw it playing. And I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I'll say that. Um, hmm. Okay. It is universally adored, like to the point that I'm thinking that might have influenced how I felt about it, because I mean, have you seen a film this year with more glowing praise than Worst Person in the World? I don't think I have, actually. Maybe Jackass? Yeah. (laughs) Like, honestly, like Jackass has like a 99% approval rating right now. Yeah. And I, you know. I'm seeing it later this afternoon, so obviously you can tell I'm, you know, susceptible to this. Uh, I don't think there has been one that's been loved quite as much as 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 worst person in the world. And let me say, it's it's a great film. I like, I enjoyed it. I 
admired it structurally, you know, the, the acting in it. I was like, I was very much aware the whole time. I was like, this is a really good film. Like I, I, I don't have many notes for them. Um, you know, the, the main talk is, uh, Renate, Rensif? Is that how you say her name? Sorry. I think it's Renata. Renata. Um, yeah. As Julie, she's she's great. And But what really surprised me is uh, Anders Danielson uh, Lee Lai as uh, Oxel in the film. He is really like, he made me cry. Like, I was surprised by him because I had heard nothing about him. I had only heard about her performance. But mm-hmm. he gives a really, really excellent performance. So all of the actors are wonderful. The story is very interesting. I am curious as to why it's it hasn't gotten more attention that it's two male writers who have written a story about a woman. That is a little like, I don't know. I've just been seeing it praised as like, wow, this is such a, a candid look into how a woman thinks. And it's like, yee, written by two men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um let's just keep that's a note uh so but other than that like yeah i i think if i had not had it built up so much i i think i would have connected with it way more yeah and i think you know yeah sometimes things can the hype can be a little much especially when you're talking about a movie that's that kind of in you know it's a small storytelling it's not like the ambition is internal rather than external um can, it can be hard. I think it can make it harder to connect to things. But It's definitely a um, slow burn. And I'll say this because I really don't like these two devices. And this movie does both of them. There is a voiceover and it is divided into chapters. And the reason I don't like the chapters thing is you're always like, how many fucking chapters is this? Yes. Um, and people, so many people have been using the chapter. All uh, the time. It's become very popular so again. All I'll say is it's 12 chapters, just so you're braced, because I was like, is it six? Is it 10? How long is it? And the film's like over two hours. So I was like, how, how much longer? Uh, so just be braced. It's 12 chapters with a voiceover. <clears throat> Not our favorite plot device, but other than that, I think the the acting is so good. The uh, there's a really really amazing sequence where she crashes uh, a party that is so fascinating to watch in sort of a train wreck way. That I really enjoyed that. So yeah, so so definitely a lot of positive qualities. I'm sure this is why I'm recommending it. I'm sure if you've managed to avoid all the build up that. You will enjoy it as well. And yeah, Meredith, I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts when you see it. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Is it, I guess I have to wait until it's on streaming because uh, it'll either have to be streaming or when it goes to the art house second yeah. run theater in like yeah, they several really, months. Like, ha- um, I mean, distribution is its own sort of political uh, wheelings and dealings, but if they wanted to make a run for the Oscars, I was like, is anybody going to see this movie? They'll find a way. And it's, it, you give you send the screeners out. I'm just pissed because somehow Madison's, all of the art house movies have like theaters oh. have closed. So it's all, it could be that very sucks. difficult to actually see decent things. And we used to have I was some really say, great ones. I assumed um, Madison would have uh, several <laughs> art house uh, they've they've all been converted into restaurants slash event Amazing. spaces. So yeah, it's really <laughs> cute. Um, 
Philistines, all of them. Anyway, Meredith standing (laughs) outside of a five star restaurant screaming, you're all a bunch of Philistines ruining date (laughs) nights all across the great city of Madison. Um, So before we get into bad news, did you have any recommendations? Uh, Yes. The Mads Mikkelsen revenge movie writers for justice. Um. It's just awesome. No, I'm laughing because and, sometimes there's like yeah. such a Meredith recommendation. <laughs> it's like Mads Mil- Milk- Milkinson, first and foremost, Meredith recommendation. <laughs> Writers for Justice is what you said? Also a Meredith yeah. re- recommendation. <laughs> like, or sorry, of Writers justice. of Justice. But it's still, yes, that's the, uh, yeah, a recently deployed, uh, I think he was a UN ke- peacekeeper. Uh but he he has to he goes on a mission of to find the truth and then avenge the death of his wife. So truly grown uh, in a lab for Meredith to watch. <laughs> I'm just this. I'm people are finally understanding how to appeal to me, the very important <laughs> uh, audience member. Between this, yes, you know, because as I've been, I just watched Yellow Jackets. That was also created just for me, Meredith. People finally understand the importance of my uh, my. You were, <laughs> you were so funny about Yellow Jackets because you had the response that I always have when, let's call it the worst person in the world syndrome, where something is so built up that you almost become resentful of it. And you're like, I'm not going to fucking watch it. Fuck all of y'all. And that was happening with you with Yellow Jackets. And I had to be like, but no, really. Like, I know it's generated a ridiculous amount of media coverage. Some might say too much, but... <laughs> you actually will enjoy it very much. And then you did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't want to say much more about it. It's just the, about Writers of Justice. But this is one of those movies where I felt like I'll be interested to see if Mads continues to occasionally make, let's call it, uh, Liam Neeson movies. Oh, my God. Love that for uh, him. Because he definitely, he definitely has what it takes. And seems to elevate things rather than just settle into the comfortable violence that like and then Liam sometimes does. he just wants to dance and that's awesome too i support <laughs> that did that yeah. scene belong in that movie not really but i enjoyed it i enjoyed it so uh, any other recommendations uh, I'm going to cut okay. it, like, leave it at that one, because I feel like, you know, we should I know, I have so many, because I've seen a ridiculous amount of movies um, recently. Did you get to see A Hero yet? Uh, okay. Yes, I did. And I love should Oscar Should we talk Fatty. about that quickly, just because it's so fucking bizarre? You can watch that on Amazon right now? Yes, uh, I think that's Yeah, great. so, you know, uh, um, a, again, a great film. Um, probably... Better if it's your jam, <laughs> I'll say that. A very slow storytelling about um, tight-knit families in a culture that usually uh, we Americans are not exposed to sounds interesting to you, as it should. Uh, you will love a hero because um, I don't know if you know this, Meredith, but Ferrari knows uh, their shit, apparently, as a director. So... You know who would have known it? Yeah, you know he's you know he's been you know, he seems like yeah. he's going this places. Kid, I think this young um, up and comer who uh, no, 
uh, he's a he's a legendary Iranian filmmaker. Although he hasn't been making films in Iran as of recently, this is like his great big return to making Iranian films uh, in Iran. Which, if that sounds insane, like a thing that should not happen, you're absolutely right. He is the only one who can do it, <laughs> like because it is like sanctioned by the yeah. government, not in a way that like uh, it it seems like his films are censored or anything but he is the only filmmaker who had like has the approval to do something like this and that's why it's so fucking weird that now amazon has has bought it and you can watch it at home that is wild yeah and so he made the movie a separation which was ostensibly you know starts as a movie that it's described as a movie about two people going through a divorce, but it is about class and about sexism and gender and society. And um, a hero is similar in that it's a very simple story, but it ends up being an incredibly well-crafted bit yeah, of commentary. Yeah, that poses like very interesting um, existential moral question questions that afterwards you're sort of like... You just sit quietly and you're like, what would I have done in that situation? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there is a, it's also very timely because it, it brings in social media and public shaming and all of these questions of, of the way that we create narratives. So it'll make you want to delete uh, all of your Yeah, apps. and I... <laughs> as well at least it certainly made i should me say too like that. it does this stuff in a way that doesn't feel like you know pc culture has gone crazy and we're canceling people for no re- like it's not that it's just a sort of realistic depiction of what can happen in a in a situation where a bunch of like say an entire nation is watching your every move <laughs> um but yeah, it's interesting because there's a moment like that in Worst Person in the World that, again, I won't go into because it's spoiler territory, but I don't know how I felt about it. Th- that film made a lot of observations that felt like they were about five years too late. Um, and And maybe that's just because I'm extremely online and I've been exposed to like toxic masculinity and incel culture for years and years and years and years and maybe like the general populace is still like learning about this stuff but there were a couple moments in worst person in the world where i was like yeah that that's like a stand-up bit i heard like seven years ago mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure yeah yeah but, um and i mean i i think i liked a hero more than you did i find the way that he tells the director tells stories really compelling and i think that um I just am interested to see movies that are coming out of Iran because obviously no matter what the storyline is and no matter what it might read to us, it's clearly he's very intentionally making movies like he's doing commentary on the way that people have to survive in an oppressive regime. He just knows that how to get it passed up. Yeah. (laughs) And again, like, yeah. You would not have heard or seen this story any other year. So it's extraordinary that you can stream it now if you have Amazon. So, um, you know, this isn't me shilling for Amazon because Amazon is a a horrible, evil company. It's just also uh, amazing that you could you can see this story that you never would have had access to at any other time 
in our collective history. That's pretty awesome. So if you can see a hero, do check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, everybody, uh, Meredith, here are the things we didn't get to. And we'll get to them eventually. But I just want you to I want everybody to tweet me and praise me for my restraint right now, because we did not talk about Nightmare Alley, I'm Your Man, or Peacemaker. Oh, God, we're going to have so much fun when we do. I'm also just. I have to say, I'm so glad that you saw I'm Your Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Talk about another film film that was, like, grown in a lab for (laughs) Meredith. Um, But, yeah, we're not getting into it, everybody. It's that time in the episode. Let's all hold hands and cry. (gasps) Here's your bad news. Oh, there were a bunch of little, like, side things. I was like, okay, if we don't have enough to talk about... I don't know why I ever think that you and I won't have enough to talk about in the pop culture section. I just ran into somebody the other day who was like, (laughs) I like that the show's, like, 90% pop culture now. And I was like, it's not, like, 90%. And then I was like, oh, it is. It totally is. So I don't know why I ever have this assumption that you and I cannot fill the pop culture section. But I had a couple stories up top that were like quasi quasi bad news slash pop culture stories but i just think it's so appropriate that new jersey's groundhog died before groundhog's day that is like he pulled a betty white it's so deeply funny (laughs) to me that milton uh mel milltown mel i don't know if you you really put the emphasis on the town or not but milltown mel checked out Right before Groundhog Day, is there anything more symbolic of the shit show we find ourselves in right now than the Groundhog dying before Groundhog's Day? No, there is not. No, there is not. And we have, how are we so spoiled for weird Groundhog's Day, Groundhog content? I mean, de Blasio murdering Staten Island, the Staten Island Groundhog. We got Milltown Mel. I just, there's never, it's almost never like it's out. a deeply it's weird amazing. tradition that um maybe we shouldn't do anymore <laughs> is, is maybe cursed. <laughs> um, it's a bunch of old white men who wear silly uh, stovetop hats and um, toss around a gra- groundhog who doesn't want to be there and sometimes attacks them. You know, it's a, it's a weird uh, American tradition, but yeah, Milltown dying before like didn't even get to see his shadow or not was just like nope and i'm gonna say it chose to die i think it was a conscious decision on his part i think he you know how dolphins have to make the conscious decision to keep breathing or not i think milltown was the same way where he's like do i want to keep living and then he was like nah nope i mean he just uh he decided he was going to call Dignitas and peace out. So rest know? in peace, little <laughs> Milltown Mel, the groundhog. And then the other bad news that I was like, ah, I guess this is kind of political news slash bad news slash pop culture news. Rudy Giuliani was on uh, The Masked Singer, everybody, like he's not a fucking criminal. And like we've all just moved past the fact that he was in- involved in an attempted coup in this country. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw that, although I guess I saw some, you know, the reactions. 
at least the immediate reaction by the hosts, like by the people on the show, was like, I can't. What? What have uh, you but done? here's the thing. I'm this is sorry. Terrible. You walked off stage for five minutes and then you came back, Ken Jong and Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke taking like the moral high ground with literally anybody. I'm like, come on, my dude. Um, oh, I don't even think about the Robin Thicke part because we all know that he doesn't have, I don't know, no, any scruples. No, we know that, that. And they like truly walked <laughs> off stage for five minutes and then came back. And it's like, wow, brave guys. So brave. Uh, but yeah, very much still employed on that show. Very much uh, just sucked it up and went through it after that. But yeah, that's where we're at culturally in the United States. Rudy Giuliani, key player in the attempted coup <laughs> at the Capitol, uh, now on The Masked Singer. So that's adorable. Ugh, I just... Come on, we don't have we don't have to let these people continue to hang around. I feel and like do at things. the at the and very least, we should not allow Rudy Giuliani on the Masked Singer. At this point, we're not even talking about yeah. anybody getting jail time or facing any kind of legal consequences. At the bare minimum, you can't be on our reality television shows. Yeah, you know, we know what happened. Like, we know the power, the problems that can come from this. We also know that Rudy Giuliani is a crook and a goblin. So why? Just why? We don't... It's too much. This is why I'm glad that the only times I watch television that is live is when I need something on in the background and I turn on, you know, I watch some Law & Order episodes in the background while I'm Doing oh man, production. I've been rewatching uh, <laughs> the past seasons of like Project Runway and Top Chef and putting that on the in the background, and it is a fucking delight. Ooh, that's a smart one too. I think there's I yeah, there there have been good competition shows. There are still good competition shows. We do not like the mass singer is dumb enough as it is. We really need to bring in dumb politics, dumb bad politics. So, if you <sighs> were the costume designer at the mass singer, what costume would you have put Rudy in? Singing penis. That's the perfect answer. <laughs> you do I don't you don't no, need no, to no, finish no. the question. He Singing was, penis. He was in case anybody was wondering <laughs> the bear. But singing penis is obviously the correct answer. We can move on. Um, So I guess we should talk about the fact that here in the United States, we've now surpassed 900,000 deaths from COVID. Which, again, like I remember so early on in the pandemic, a friend of mine was like, do you think we're going to hit a million deaths? And I was like, yes, easily. And I would say at this point, we Mm -hmm. probably have because there's been multiple studies at this point that indicate the the deaths are at a minimum being 10 percent underreported because in a lot of underserved communities, People are dying um, of other things that are not being reported as COVID, but COVID probably was playing some kind of part in them dying. So a, a lot of these deaths are being undercounted in like uh, Native American communities, um, brown and black communities, you know. Hell, even in communities where the people who are in charge just really don't want to believe that this is an issue. And so they've just decided yeah. they're going to yeah. stop counting. There is a... a widespread surrender on on the part of local governments and state governments to just stop reporting the deaths so that's fun um florida is a great example of that i 
I am the type of person who I check every day about what the states are reporting in terms of deaths from COVID. And Florida is always like six people. And it's like, Florida, come on. It's like hundreds of people. You're not reporting yeah. it. So we're probably at a million already. But the official statistic is 900,000, which in itself is a a crime. Well, and yesterday, the U.S. reported 3,895 new coronavirus deaths, um, which is one of the highest. Yeah, I think the only pandemic. higher so, stat was last winter, which was catastrophic. Right. Yeah. And this is it is it is fascinating to me that there that we're we're seeing these numbers and yet everyone still is so determined to go back to normal because most because you know most people aren't going to get that sick um it's just like we've decided that we've decided that it's, this is completely fine as long as it's the elderly and the disabled and the immunocompromised which is so utterly fucked and should not be. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this is powerful, rich people have decided <laughs> that they've made the calculations and they're like, we lose more money if you don't go back to work. A bunch of you will probably die, but it'll be better for us because we need your labor. So y'all have to go back to work, even though it might jeopardize your lives or people you live with's lives. We have made the calculation. It's worth that. Which is so interesting to me because there's so many conspiracy theories in this country about, like, the government, like, putting shit in your water, like, being actively malicious, when, in fact, the most widespread crime by the government is indifference. They just don't give a shit about you. Or... And it has mm. been this way for our entire lives and longer. I mean, this is... It's straight out of the yeah. AIDS playbook. Yeah, they're like, it is... It's cumbersome for us to do something at the moment, so we'll just not do anything. And when they decide, oh, wait, we actually do need your labor, then they're like, crisis is over, everybody. Get back to work. And everyone's like, but Omicron. And they're like, eh, we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine in our gated communities. Y'all get back to work at your fast food restaurants and um, running our trains right. and our buses. Allison, yeah. aren't you worried about the health of shareholder you know, value? That's the I'm going to be honest health. with you. That does wake me up in the middle of the night, you know, when I'm like, when I just sit straight mm -hmm. up in bed and I'm like, the shareholders. Um, but, you know, I, I personally think that there's just um, more poor people <laughs> that we should care about in this country and not sacrifice them uh, to the god of capitalism. But that's just me. That's just me. It's one insane woman's thoughts. There are better gods to sacrifice to. Come on, people. Are we really going to do this for capitalism? At least pick some ancient okay. Sumerian well, god. I was going to ask you we favorite god, the... but you just said ancient Sumerian. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Sam Hain somehow, like, whatever got the okay. Wicker Man. I Let's face it. The Wicker Man is my answer. The pagan gods that... Uh, that were being worshipped by Christopher Lee and Lord Summerisle and the rest. That's that's my real answer. But yes, I think we could, you know, we could be living a glorious pagan nightmare. But no, we have to be, it has to be capitalism. Monotheism is a curse, I know. Well, you listen, I'm going to say the Wicker Man, too, because let's be real, they have the best parties. So, Wicker Man. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so Absolutely. And finally, before we we close with some good news, should we talk about Ukraine and Russia and what's happening right now? Things yeah. are kind of bad. So I don't know. on Sunday, the U.S. worked um, to ramp up diplomatic and financial pressure on Russia over Ukraine at the U.N. Security Council. Basically, there's a lot of like um, scary sort of uh, war drum rhetoric by the U.S. where they're like, hey, Putin, you better watch it, mister, or there'll be consequences. And it's like, well, what does that mean? The, The main thing I wanted to talk about is in this whole conversation, nobody's actually listening to Ukraine. And Ukraine has been like, everybody needs to cool the fuck down. He Russia hasn't invaded yet. Um, and potentially our situation could get so much worse if the U.S. gets involved. Please don't do anything. Nobody's listening to Ukraine when they're saying that stuff. And the other aspect that I found really disturbing was whenever the U.S. media, the good reporters who are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is not believing what the U.S. government is telling them at face value without evidence – Whenever they like sort of confront the State Department at press briefings, they are being confronted hostily. Like um, I wanted to shout out Felicia Sanmez, who's a Washington Post national political reporter. She tweeted this the other day. She said, at today's White House and State Department press briefings, reporters press for evidence to back up U.S. government statements about recent events in Syria and Russia, respectively. Great. Great job, Felicia. That's what you're supposed to do. In response, officials suggested those reporters might be more inclined to believe ISIS or the Kremlin. Yikes. So basically, they were like your traitors yeah. for even questioning us. Yeah. And let's, you know, Felicia Sanmez does not take shit. So we are lucky to have her sitting in the yeah, press. She's a great right reporter. Now. I'm glad that she is part of the the group of reporters who are like, hey, mm-hmm. U.S. government, you've lied a bunch to us in intelligence reports in the past about shit that was supposedly happening and an imminent threat like in Iraq with weapons of mass destruction. And it turned out not to be fucking true. Are you doing that again with Ukraine because you don't like Russia and the intelligence community is not? Uh, responding positively to that. Yeah. Well, uh, next thing you know, some, you know, they'll be Trump drumming up some sort of uh, sexual assault angle so that the Washington Post then decides to take her off the story. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, like, here's the thing, too. Don't get me wrong. Putin is um, a monster and an insane person and a bad dude. And I would put nothing past him in terms of motives or in terms of acts of aggression. He, he's a bad guy, right? However, I don't think the solution to that is a large-scale ground invasion that could potentially kill many Ukrainians who have done nothing wrong. Like, And that's what's right. happening. Let's be honest. That's what always happens whenever there's any kind of ground warfare. Innocent civilians get killed. So... That, of course, is why Ukrainians are like, hey, can we cool it? Can we cool it? Because they see what could potentially happen. Yeah. And I think there's we just we just got out of a stupid war that had been going on forever. 
So uh, this is like it's this is good. clearly there's nothing good that no, can and I, I wanted to I, I yeah I wanted to bring this up with you because on TikTok right now there's a bunch of like understandably very scared younger people who see what's happening with Ukraine and Russia and they're like is this World War Three? And I had to explain to a friend of mine the other day that we don't do war like in neat chapters like that anymore. I think that ended with World War II. Um, And now we just live in a constant state of ongoing war in which our Congress never officially declares that we're at war, but we just go and invade and occupy countries for, say, two decades. Yeah. And it's like, okay, are you, do you just really need to keep these things running? Like you, you know, you've already spent all the money. Like it's, it's perfect sunk cost fallacy Mm. bullshit. Um, and it, it gets, it ruins lives. It ruins millions of lives and there's no excuse for it. There's, there's just no excuse for it. Also, I can't like, it's fucking stupid to get into any sort of ground conflict in, you know, in that part of the you're world. You're just saying that because it's in the fucking Princess just, Bride. Never get involved in a land war in Asia. You're just saying that because we're a dying <laughs> empire, and uh, every time we invade uh, another country, we just like have our asses handed to us. Lately, I should say. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, it's a terrible idea. It'll it'll cost a lot of lives it'll cost money that we could be allocating to to other resources it's stupid it's fucking stupid and the only reason it'll happen is i feel like we've been in proxy wars with russia since we were in an official uh well i guess the cold war was sort of uh officially non-official but you know, anytime we have a conflict in Syria, it's like actually a proxy war with Russia. Like we want to go to war with Russia where our government wants to go to war with Russia, but they know we can't go to war with Russia because, again, we are a, a failing empire and it would just be suicidal. Um, yeah. And it's and I this is very cynical of me, but this isn't fucking Iraq. Like people's boogeymen from long ago when they were like Mm -hmm. in their heyday bringing it back just because you feel like you want one more crack at it doesn't work that way yeah not in russia (laughs) even if you are concerned by the very real meddling russia did in our elections i think that's like a valid concern this is not the way to address that, <laughs> you know? The way to address that is to, like, actually educate people about, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, false campaigns on social media sites and holding these social media platforms like Facebook or Meta, whatever they're calling themselves now, accountable for allowing this kind of um, propaganda to spread on their platforms. You don't address it by invading Russia. <laughs> Yeah, I will say there is an excellent Instagram account. Look at this Russian um, that is positive. So maybe instead of invading Ukraine, every American should just follow. Yeah, that and account. also just remember that there are people working within Russia, incredibly brave activists who are trying to take down Putin. <laughs> 
Like there are really good people who live in Russia too and really like oppressed LGBTQ activists who have been bravely protesting and organizing for years when they literally could be killed for it. Like those are the types of people in Russia too. So it's not a bunch of like Putin robots. Guys, on that note, let's end things with good news. Putting CNN president Jeff Zucker resigning in the good news section because I because, hope you would. <laughs> I also was talking to someone about this the other day. They're like, I so value that the good news section has just been you airing petty grievances with people. And I'm like, thank you so much. Because I do consider when my political enemies fail to be a personal victory for me. So I put all of CNN in my enemies category, <laughs> but specifically CNN president Jeff Zucker, um, you know, just emblematic of the failings of the establishment media having to resign because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. And I guess we need to give him credit because at least this was a consensual relationship. So at least he had that right. going for him. It wasn't like he just sexually harassed a, a rando employee, which happens all the time. He was in a consensual relationship with it was it another oh I have it right here um with Allison Gallist his key lieutenant for the last two decades they were in a consensual relationship and he did not disclose it um so he had to step down because that's a no no you can't do that yeah and you know this also. This went on during his support of Chris Cuomo. I mean, the other part that's beautiful about this is that he ended up doing this, at least the scuttlebutt is, because Cuomo's lawyers are trying to sue to get some of his contract right. recouped because he thinks it was an unfair Which is firing. hilarious. Let's remember, he was a sexual harasser and he helped his brother smear people who were talking about him mm -hmm. being a harasser. Uh, so there were emails that were going to be embarrassing. And show that, you know, confirm the affair, but also um, show that he was complicit. So there's a lot of, you know, it's it's just so, so lovely. Um, and I love that uh, both this schadenfreude from former CNN employees is also quite great. Like Soledad O'Brien saying, it was an open oh, secret. Yeah. We Did all you, knew. Katie Kirk <laughs> supposedly like hinted at it in her memoir that just came out. Yeah, yeah she apparently did. I need to read that thing because I guess she like threw a couple bombs in it. Yeah, I mean, it's just the I, I mean, she defends Matt Lauer, right. too. So uh, but yes, you are. I feel like there is some interesting there's interesting. Gossip I'm sure in there. she knows so much dirt on people. But yeah, so putting it in the good news section. Not just because I personally think it's very funny, but also that it's just another one of like the old school white news execs going down in flames. And I think that's good for humanity. Yeah. I mean, as we've, you know, as, as I said in a text message to you, it's like the only thing you, it's like women are supposed to be the irrational ones and that's why we can't hold power. But men just keep going down because of their 
fucking penises. Yeah, like, like listen, I I would yeah. never claim that this type of thing wouldn't happen if we had all women executives. I'll just say that it would happen significantly less. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I'm not going to say it would never happen because you do occasionally hear those stories about women in power who abuse their their power and take advantage of underlings. And like that does still happen with women, but it happens way less. Absolutely. I mean, I just good riddance. I hope he doesn't get a comeback. He his sense of news is terrible. He was absolutely a huge part of the rise of Trump. He's clearly still a Trump fan. He probably voted for the guy. Um, and he's an asshole. So, Good riddance. Good riddance. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, and then finally, and this has to be the finally because um, my computer is about to die. <laughs> and I don't have my charger. Oh, my God. Is it going to die right now? Oh, no. We're fine. We're fine, everybody. So uh, a, a small bit of good news on the abortion front, a judge has blocked South Dakota's unnecessary abortion ban. And this is especially relevant because Governor Kristi Noem, who's a sort of on the rise Republican star, young woman, you know, Republicans like love to fap it over a young woman because they're like, look, we're progressive too. We're not, you know, an antiquated party. We have like women who were going to run for higher offices. Um, and she's been like called the future of the GOP, blah, blah, blah. Um, so South Dakota had this executive order that made it even harder to get a medication abortion, which account for nearly half of all abortions in the United States. Um, so it was presenting, preventing them from being distributed via telemedicine and requiring that they be picked up in person, which you can imagine uh, is an obstacle for many, many people. So the ACLU of South Dakota and Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit last week to stop these unnecessary restrictions. And the temporary restraining order issued by the judge this week will stay in effect until February 9th. And then they're going to have another hearing. But for the meantime... It has been uh, staved off. So that is good news. Uh, just anytime something, anytime that medication abortion access is held up, upheld as necessary and legal uh, makes me yes. very happy because it just, we just really, we really need, need it right it, now. As I've talked about on the show a lot. And listen, Roe v. Wade is very, very, very likely to be overturned by the Supreme Court. We didn't get into Justice Justice Breyers or anything like that on this episode, but the the future of the court is up in the air right now. It's already skewed conservative, so it doesn't look great, which is why we need uh, every option we can save when it comes to abortion. So on that note, everybody, please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark, um, any plugs? Uh, right. No, not right Please now. follow me at Allison Kilkenny on all social media platforms. If you're a fan of the show and what we do, go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button. If you want to skip the line and send recommendations, comments, questions, just general life updates about how you're doing, you can follow me at patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as, can you believe it, $5 a month, I know you can Amazing. support me, everything I do, and as I said, skip the line. Who doesn't love skipping the line? I love skipping the line. 
So on that note, everybody, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. If you're vaxxed, wear a mask. 